But I know you're going through a series in a few psalms this summer, and today's lesson is from Psalm 49, which is known as a wisdom psalm. You know, there's many types of psalms. Some people say there are five main types of psalms. And scholar Tremper Longman says that you need to know the types of psalms because each type triggers a reading strategy for what you can get out of it. So, you know, like there's a, there's a worship psalms. So you learn how to worship. There's lament psalms. There's kingly psalms. This one is a wisdom psalm in which it's trying to help you to become more wise. And the encouragement that I want to share from Psalm 49 is that God can and does develop wisdom in you during times of trouble, maybe especially during times of trouble, to encourage you that when you're in deep disorientation in the world, disillusionment, dryness, oppression, trouble is the word that this passage uses. He can and does use it to make you wise. And so this morning, as you come into church, you may not feel that you're very much in trouble. You just need to listen and then file it away. But some of you I know have come to church this morning and you are in pain. And what you need to know is that God is at work. You're looking for the beauty that God brings from the ashes of your life, as Isaiah said. And Psalm 49 reminds you, he may be using the trouble that you're in to make you gorgeously wise. So shall we read Psalm 49? Let's read what it says. Uh, It's going to be up here and I can read it, right? Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of God. Oh, I need to turn my mic. Can you hear me better now? Okay. My introduction was fantastic, by the way, uh, if you didn't hear it. 
So the lesson today is that God can develop wisdom in you even in times of trouble and the hope that brings to you when you're suffering, when you're in pain. Uh, that's, the, that's really the only lesson. <laughs> but I want to try to break it up maybe into three sections that I can pull out of this passage. Uh, the first is to give you some bad news. The second, I'll give you a couple of reminders why you need the bad news and the good news, and then I'll give you the good news. Those three things. And we'll start with this. The first thing, the bad news is that you need to admit and you need to understand that God allows the presence of trouble in your life so that he can make you wise. And the way I want to teach you this from this psalm is to talk about the structure of the psalm. This is a wisdom psalm. And wisdom is how to live a great life, a skillful and good life in the world that God has created that God has made the world in a certain way, in a certain fabric, and you are stupid if you push against the way that he has made the world. And so wisdom comes and says, I know what moves to make in God's world that will bring beauty and glory and goodness. I can navigate my way in this world in such a way uh, that brings abundance, whether it's in business or my family or my relationships, beyond the specific things that God says in his law. I can discern things, even things that aren't specifically in his law, is to be good at life in the world that God created. And if you want that, you turn to the wisdom literature. You may look to one of these psalms. uh, And all the wisdom literature you might know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, which were written to catechize young adolescent boys so that they would be good at life in the world that God created. And so you go through the psalms and you identify which ones are the wisdom psalms. And there are a number of ways to tell which ones are wisdom psalms. Number one, if they have the words wisdom and foolishness in it. Duh. If they got that, and that's verse 3 and verse 10. Wisdom psalms have a lot of proverbs in it. Verse 16, 17. Twice in verse 12 and verse 20, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like beasts that perish. Wisdom psalms talk a lot about fear. Wisdom psalms talk a lot about life and death. Wisdom psalms talk about how you use your words. But getting to my point, the last way that you can identify a wisdom psalm, trying to get you to be good at life in the world that God created, is that there's trouble. The psalmist is in some kind of crisis. Why should I fear, verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble that there's some kind of disorientation? The world is not the way that I understand you have made it, Lord. It's, It's confusing me, disillusionment. I've tried everything that you told me to do, Lord, but I don't know what to do now because I'm confused. Pain and anger, something is wrong with life in God's world, and I don't yet know what the moves are in this situation that will bring beauty and glory and satisfaction. Lord, I've followed your ways, but the world is not cooperating. There's trouble. That's how you know. He's trying to produce wisdom. And so one of the things we learn just by understanding that this is a wisdom psalm is that God, I want to be measured here, God almost always, almost exclusively, seems to prefer the occasion of trouble to make us wise. 
not just by meditation, but often meditation on his law when you are in confusion, when you are in trouble. In this particular psalm, the trouble is that there's a particular spiritual crisis brought in by the fact that wealthy people are sticking it to the poor. The rich seem to be getting richer, the poor seem to be getting poor, and not only that, at best, the, the, the rich seem to be ignoring the poor, but at worst, that the rich are using their power and wealth to exploit the poor and cheat them and take what they have, right? That's verse five. Why should I fear in times of trouble when those whose iniquity cheats me and they surround me? And so this guy is poor and he doesn't know what to do. It's like they're taking his feet. Let me contemporize this. They're taking all his wages so he can't save for his child's college. He's working a living wage, but they keep taking it from, from him. And he's got to choose between food and medicines. People in my congregation have to make that choice, and it's agonizing. They're making it impossible for him to live. And he says, this is, there's nothing in the Ten Commandments about this, except that I can't steal to make up the difference. You know, I, I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to not covet the things that the rich people have. I don't know what to do in this situation. Is grace even applicable here? I can't do anything about it. They have all the power. They may be cheating me. And I don't know what to do. And maybe you're not oppressed financially, although I think you are. You guys pay over five and a half dollars for gas, right? We pay about four dollars in New York City. Uh, you live in Orange County. I don't know whether or not you're financially oppressed. A little bit of a secret. One of the things Pastor Will told me about you is, um, I don't know, maybe one of the barriers to spiritual growth is that you're comfortable. So I don't know what kind of trouble. I love you, but I don't know you. So I don't know what kind of trouble that you're in. But the thing is, there are a, a lot of situations in life where you can get to where you feel like you don't know who you have the moves for. You don't know what to do. And there's all kinds of trouble in the wisdom psalms that make your soul feel like in, it's in jeopardy, like gossip. Your public reputation has effect on your spirituality. And when people talk behind your back and go to your boss and badmouth you, it affects you and makes you insecure. They may be taking away your future because they're preventing you from getting a promotion, and it affects you. Or sickness. And anxiety, what are the wise moves in those situations? Physical health is compromised and mental health is compromised. One thing I know that nationwide, the stats are this, that 80% of teenagers can be said to have generalized anxiety in this generation. 40% of teenage girls have been diagnosed with one kind of anxiety disorder. 40%, that's a crazy stat. That's panic attacks. That's anorexia. I've got folks in my church facing cancer and sickness, and some of them are handling it well, and some of them are not. In my neighborhood, the funerals that we have done during the COVID era have not been because of respiratory failure, but it's been because of opioid addiction. It's because the stress has become too much over the two years. And it's preying on our most vulnerable. Or injustice. What are the moves when injustice comes your way? In my local high school, I don't know what the form of injustice is with you. 
In our local high school, George Washington High School, where Henry Kissinger went, in the most wealthy one-city public school district in the country, our graduation rate is 19%, 1-9%. Underserved, underfunding, underfunded, we're failing kids all over the place. Just because of where they live, they, they, they are getting underserved. Is that fair? And we need to counsel parents on how do you develop the wisdom because they're charged with loving their kids and providing for them. What are the moves that they have? And God has charged them with loving their children. I can't tell you how much I needed wisdom to walk into the apartment of two parents who lost their child, their adult child, found in a motel alone two weeks after they passed away after a drug overdose. They don't teach you wisdom for that in seminary. I kind of know what to do now, but only because I've gone through trouble and God has taught me. There's a scale, right? I don't know what the trouble is in your life, but because of the fallenness in the world, I know that it will come. You know, I, and if it hasn't come for you yet, just wait. <laughs> You're probably young. And in the middle of this suffering, the psalmist is able to sing this, verse 3, my mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. There is some wisdom that God, that you have given me, and I'm going to pull it out, and I'm going to sing about it, because I've got, I don't know, I don't know nothing, and I'm going to pull it out. But there's also verse 4, which says, I will incline my ear to a proverb, and I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. In other words, I have wisdom that I can pull out, but there is some wisdom that I knew that God needs to develop in me, that he is going to help me solve this current problem with this disorientation. He's going to get me to learn something new about how to navigate this world. And because I'm suffering, I'm ready to learn it. I'm ready to hear it. That this present difficulty is going to help me develop new moves. I may not know all the moves now, but God can make me wise. Do you even believe that? Trouble is almost exclusively, often the way, maybe the preferred vehicle in which God uses to, in which God uses to teach us wisdom. You may not be able to reduce the pain. You may not be able to reduce the duration of your pain. You may not be able to stop the evil that is coming at you, but he can use it to make you more beautiful, glorious, and wise in the middle. I mean, look at Jesus' life. He, he always used to, disorientation is always, always what he uses to teach things. He'll push you over. Remember John 6, Sermon on the Mount? He feeds the 5,000. He basically has started a megachurch. 5,000 people are listening to him. And the Pharisees come in and they start to stir trouble. They ask him all these hard questions and he extends his sermon and he scandalizes people with his words. He creates a crisis in their heart. You remember what he said? He said, your forefathers, you Jews, you had the bread from heaven in the wilderness. But I want to tell you that I'm the real bread of heaven. And if you want eternal life, you have to, I'm the bread and you have to eat my flesh. You will not have eternal life unless you eat my flesh. And everybody's like, what? I think this guy's from God because he just healed the guy out of nothing. He just, made, he just fed 5,000 people out of nothing. I think he's from God, but now is he telling me, the rabbi is saying that you have to become a cannibal? 
in order to inherit in the so like what and then he doubles down he says you heard me if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood then you will not have life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life he says it like four times and they're going oh my goodness and the funny thing is that at that point in john 6 the scripture says uh, at this point many of his disciples left him and never followed him again i read this story to my wife and she said i would have left him but he senses an opportunity because of disquietness in his soul, which he has produced through his words. And he calls his closest disciples. You remember what he says to them? He looks them in the eye and he says, are you going to leave me too? And they don't know, they don't know what to make of it. But it's a way of te- him teaching the wisdom of following, what it means to follow Jesus, the Lord. And you remember what Peter says? He looks him right back in the eyes And he says, where else are we going to go, Lord? For you are the one that has the words of life. He is teaching them the beginning of wisdom, which the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. The start of wisdom is to come to him, to stay with him, and he will teach you. He's constantly doing this. Luke 10 I want to teach you something. I'm going to send you out two by two, but you're going to be really uncomfortable. Don't take a cloak. Don't take sandals. Uh, don't take snacks. No provisions. You're going to get hungry and you're going to get cold, but go two by two. Ah, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have the gifting of evangelism. I'm really insecure. Can you do me more training? No, go out there. Go into someone's house. Say, peace on this house. Kingdom of God is near. And if they reject you, they reject you. Oh, I don't like that. I can't take rejection. No, if they reject you, reject you. If you say peace on this house, if they accept you and they give you food, eat all the food in their house and be their friend. And they're destabilized. They are anxious. He sends them out and they come back and they come to Jesus and they say, oh my goodness, Jesus, did you see me? I, I healed that guy in the power of your name. I cast out demons in your name. They were destabilized through the trouble. They're all on a high. But you remember what Jesus says when they come back? He makes them wise unto grace, the wise unto salvation, he says, do not rejoice that the Spirit submitted to you. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's always disorienting. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. And then he does it, and then he has to come back and says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's always teaching wisdom through destabilizing. Jesus uses disorientation and the disquieting of your soul to teach you goodness and wisdom. He can heal you out of the goodness of his heart. He can stop suffering out of the goodness of his heart, but he also will not, is not above using disorientation to make you wise. Those are two examples from Jesus. Can I give you a real one from my context? And I apologize if this might trigger some of you, but in my context, the rise of violence against Asian American women is trouble. It's a real trouble. Taekwondo studios in New York City over the last year have increased enrollment three times over. Why? Mostly from Asian American women learning self-defense. They've got to go on the subway, and most of the atta- they've got to go on the subway to work, and most of the attacks of violence against Asian American women have been on the subway. I have developed wisdom. I know that you can't buy pepper spray in New York. It's illegal. You know why? Because I tried. <laughs> tried to order it on Amazon for my wife so that she could just have it in her bag. And so one of my friends, 
was reflecting on the self-defense classes that she was taking. She had been punching things for the first time in her life. She's aiming her punches at other people for the first time in her life in practice. I don't know, this is Orange County. I don't know if this is contextual, but this is a real thing for me. But this is what she said about how the self-defense classes were changing her. She said, I learned something about myself and I've had to think deeply about what I really think about violence. I've thought about it before, but now what I believe, I feel like it's now in my body. I've had to develop a theology of violence and a strong sense of the circumstances in which I would use it, in which I would not use it. And as I took more self-defense classes, I felt myself carrying my body differently, as if I had a weapon in my pocket, hidden, that I could bring out at any moment. I walked into situations with men with a kind of aggressiveness and confidence that I never expected. I've learned to navigate situations in which others assume that I am the docile, submissive Asian-American woman wrongly. I don't, I don't suffer those fools anymore. I say something, but I have also had to think about articulating truth in love, even when I don't want to love. That's wisdom of how you use your words. And as a Christian, I've had to think more deeply about what it means that Jesus suffered violence willingly in his body on the cross for my sake, both the horror of it and the redemption that came from it. Real life trouble, there it is. Producing wisdom and how to navigate her world. Do you believe that God can do it? All right, point number two, it's much shorter. Two reminders. As I said, I don't, I, I don't know you, but I love you. I don't know what the trouble is that you're going through. So let's go through macro trends, why, why we need to be reminded by this. I'll give you one from the church world and one from the counseling world. In the church world, all kinds of people are trying to figure out what the effect of COVID has been on the church, right? My job, I, have, I have two jobs. I'm the pastor of Uptown Community Church, and I'm at city to, Redeemer City to City, and we help plant church churches all over the world. We're trying to figure out what's happening to the church. It's not just COVID, but it's the great political sorting. It's out-of-control inflation. It's George Floyd. It's massive cultural change on gender. I mean, you know, all of those things. And Ed Stetzer, who studies the evangelical church, he says there's, a, he did a study all across the United States, and he says this is what's happening in the church. Basically, a third of the church has left, and we don't know if they're coming back. But then there's another third of the church that is kind of just sitting there, watching and waiting. Maybe they're doing less than they did before COVID. They're like barnacles on the whale, and they're just kind of going along for the ride. But a third, a full third of the church has increased their participation in church. They're growing like weeds. They're doing more than they did before COVID. And they've learned so much. I don't mean to be all judgy on the second type, right? The second third, but there is a group that has grown during COVID. And you just take a moment and diagnose where you might be. A third is left. A third is just sitting there. A third is growing like weeds. And so people who study this stuff are, are they're thinking about two things. Number one, the reality that we've all gone through a kind of trauma. We have a collective trauma that we're all dealing with. Since the beginning of the Christian uh, movement, 
trouble has either made you a better Christian or a worse Christian. You're never left sort of the same. There's nobody in the church who is the same before COVID. So we all have gone through trauma. We're all dealing with a kind of PTSD and we're coming to grips with that. So even if you came into church today, I still know you're in trouble. I still know it's been hard. But secondly, people have started to ask, what has been the difference between the second group and the first group? What makes some people grow like weeds? And I want to submit that I think it starts with, in the midst of high stress and pain, that you actually believe that God's at work. That God can change you and develop wisdom in you. And this psalmist, this guy is teaching us to pray, singing about God's wisdom being developed in the midst of our trouble. And so the question is, do you think that God's at work, even in your pain? Disillusioned with the church, are you? Do you think the psalmist has a point? Are you willing to be mastered by this psalm? It's a question to ask yourself. The second thing that comes from the counseling world, and say one of the symptoms that we see showing up in counseling centers is PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. The trauma is gone, but the disorder is continuing. And one of the symptoms of that is learned helplessness. That you don't think things are going to better, be better and there's nothing you can do to change it. And the deeper the trauma, the worse that it is. And the two, two Ps of learned helplessness is personally, I don't think I can make a difference anymore. I don't think that I can improve. Everything is falling apart and I can't do anything about it. The second P is permanence. We have a tendency that the trouble that we have now, we project onto the rest of our lives. A guy in my church said, I work 55 hours a week. And at my job, I was on a team of five, but one of them actually passed away from COVID. The other couldn't take it and they quit. And so now we're on a team of three trying to do the work of five people and we can't do it. And it's gone on for a year and a half. The boss won't hire anybody else. And so we're failing at our job. And if that goes on long enough, you learn that I can't, you can't do anything about it. And some of that experience, spending 55 hours a week doing that, it leaks into your spiritual life. And the counselors are saying they see these symptoms. We tell them to pray and interface with God directly, and they say prayer can't help. Read the scripture. I don't think reading the Bible will help. My coping skills are just watching Netflix K-dramas and hugging my kids. That's how I get through the day. But I don't think God can make a difference. And the gospel comes along and says, my dear child, don't you know that you still have a reason to sing for joy? You can solve this riddle with the music of the lyre because God has come into your life through the gospel. And you know why? Can I go on to point number three? This is the good news. Do you know what the psalmist wanted more than anything? Is in verse 15. He says, but God will ransom my soul from the power of a grave, for he will receive me. The psalmist had this hope that God would do something to make things right, and part of his comfort was that he recognized the poor and the rich, they're both going to die. That's the wisdom. It's not better to trust in your riches because both of them are going to die, and that comforts him for a little bit. But if that's true, the comfort only goes a certain way. 
because the rich die and they have a great life. But me, who's poor, who's getting cheated, I have a great life and I die. All I have is, is a terrible life. So what I need is a God that will come and ransom my life and make me live forever to redeem my life so that this cheated life is not all I have. That God would ransom my soul from the power of the grave and that God would receive him and that that would really comfort him. And what the psalmist does, he just sings for joy because he knows that God can do it. He just hopes that God could do it. But God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. I believe it, and so I'm singing. I know that he'll receive me, but he didn't know how much more can we sing when we know that Jesus was sent to do these very things, that centuries after this psalm was written, God did something about the trouble that the psalm, psalmist was in. A suffering servant, a Messiah that came in poverty to receive him and welcome him, the psalmist could only hope. If only the psalmist could watch Jesus the way that we can. You know what would be encouraging for the psalmist? To see Jesus. When Jesus came, you know he came in poverty, right? He came poor. He became poor so that we could be rich. You know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. You know why that would have been encouraging to this guy who's being rejected by everybody else? Because what if Jesus came down and he only went to the rich and the wealthy? Who could hang out with Jesus? Who gets received? The, only the rich, because the poor can't hang out where the rich are hanging out. They can't go to their schools. They're never invited into their apartments, into their houses. If Jesus only comes to the rich, only the rich can. But if Jesus comes to the poor, who gets to hang out with Jesus? Everybody. The poor can hang out with Jesus. The rich can go wherever they want, and they did. The rich and the powerful and the Pharisees, they went with Jesus. And so if Jesus comes and he hangs out with the poor, that means that he's for everyone. Everybody will, can be received in Jesus. And what the psalmist wants more than anything is to be welcomed by God himself, that God would receive me. He's sick of being cheated and rejected by those who are rich and powerful. And this Messiah became poor that we may become rich. And that would comfort his soul. But if he kept on watching Jesus through his life, he would see, as the scripture says, not only that Jesus become poor so that we could become rich, but that Jesus went all the way to the cross and he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That on the cross, he became a ransom for our sin. What sin? The sin of your faithlessness in which you indulge learned helplessness that when you are in trouble, you think there's nothing that God can do in your life to change circumstances. That your faithlessness is a sin that estranges you from God and Jesus went to the cross and in his faithfulness he died and paid the penalty for that sin so that you could be welcomed in. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And in exchange, he gives you the breathing room and hope that you will live forever eternally with him.
And so when this psalmist says, sing for the wisdom that God is going to send, a ransom from the grave that I am only hoping for, what he's really saying is you can sing because Jesus has been sent to do the very things that would restore my hope. Reception from God, a ransom from the grave, life everlasting. And now if if you can see Jesus doing that for you, you have the hope to say, okay, maybe he can do everything Anything in my life, maybe he can work wisdom in my life. He can bust away the personal cynicism that you have that God can't change me and I can't do anything. Well, of course, you you don't have wisdom in yourself. Of course, you don't know what moves to have. You're a sinner. But in Christ, you are saved by grace and by grace, he has come. And he says in James, "If, if anyone lacks wisdom, just ask him and he'll give wisdom to you by his grace freely without partiality are you even interfacing with him directly when you don't know what the moves are to make and asking him for wisdom that he might give it to you or are you giving up you have reason to sing that he might develop wisdom in your heart he busts away the permanence did you see him rise from the dead he was dead And he rose from the dead. How much power did that take? How much power does he have in his pinky? They could rise from the dead. And if you are with him as you trust him, you know the same power that rose him from the dead is at work within you, which means that your trouble is not permanent. Things can change. He is in you. What trouble you're going through right now is not the rest of your life. And so... By grace, get up and try again. By grace, get up and look to him for wisdom. Be in fellowship with his sufferings and look to him and sing for his salvation, which will give you the hope and breathing room to develop wisdom even in times of trouble. Amen? Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encouraging word. I pray for New Life Fellowship that by your grace and on the merit of what you've done in the cross, that everyone here would experience the great welcome that you have won for us and experience the ransoming from the grave that you have won for us, that it might make room and hope. It might pave the way for faith as we watch you, to develop wisdom where we don't have it. Help us to look to Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.